Hello, everyone. Welcome to Norm Nathan's Vault of Spookiness. We have a hauntingly good show for you today that has risen from the October 30th, 1995 archives. Let's call this one Normoween. Who was that guy? Norm was joined by two guests. First up was Linda Spencer, author of Knock on Wood. As you may have guessed, from the title, it's about all sorts of superstitions and the history behind them. I still have this book in the Nesbitt Tomb of Tomes. During the interview, a question arises regarding witches riding brooms. There are other sweeping thoughts that will whisk you away because we take a few calls. We hear from Tony on a payphone at Logan Airport with some broom news. Joan from South Weymouth with more info from the News Broom. Helen from Weymouth, Debbie and Malden, Kevin in Abington, who then disappears. A caller who adds some other cool witchery. And Norma from the North End on hats, umbrellas, poles, and cracks. Our male listeners get some advice on how to meet a mate by naming clean socks, getting in bed backwards, and dreaming... What? Some static starts to come through on the tape, and you know what that means. Time to clean the tape deck! (laughs) Next is Haunted Hotels, a guide to American and Canadian inns by Robin Mead. Norman Robin talk about and mention hotels in Massachusetts, including Longfellow's Wayside Inn in Sudbury. Now, they only mention it here, but I will share a story with you now. That's where my wife and I had our experience with the ghost of Jerusa Howe. My mother-in-law had given us a gift of staying at the Wayside Inn. I had heard the stories that the place was haunted, so when I called to make the reservation, I asked, so which is the most haunted room you have? And they said, room number nine. I'll take it. So I believe it was, I think it was like 1 a.m. And uh, I feel a tug at the end of the bed on the comforter right near my feet. Now, I thought it was from, let's say, my wife was rolling over and the bed sheet and the comforter just got a little bit tighter. But that wasn't the case because she wasn't moving. So I opened my eyes, and there, standing at the end of the bed, I guess you'd call it a shadow figure, clearly see the outline of a head and shoulders. You blink a couple of times, and you look like, am I seeing what I'm seeing? And there it is, standing there. Could not make out any features, but you could just see, I'd say maybe it was about 5'3". Now, as I'm staring at it, it just, just disappears off to my left. For the next 45 minutes, I'm just kind of sitting there going, whoa, I can't believe it. I can't believe we just had an experience. So here it is 45 minutes later, and I finally, I think my my wife may have moved a little bit, and I just went, are you awake? And she just says, yes. Something happened. And she's like, "Uh uh-huh. Did you have something happen? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So turns out at the same time, when I saw that and it, swept off to the side. Her experience was somebody sat down next to her on the bed, reached over to where her head was on the pillow, and it was like someone was kind of making circles on the pillow with their hand. And then, of course, she opens her eyes, and she sees it get up and go right into what was now the bathroom. And back then, 
I believe it used to be like a dressing room of some sort. Now, I had done no research except that I knew it was haunted and that's it. I didn't want to spoil it. I didn't want to be thinking about who haunts it, anything like that. So this was a great experience. Afterwards, I go and research it a little bit and come to find out it's supposed to be a woman named Jerusa Howe, who was in love with a British soldier, who then left to go back to England, but was never heard from again. She's there waiting still for him to come back. So that's the story behind Jerusa Howe. I also found some footage online of a ghost hunter who was staying in the same room. And sure enough, he has a camera set up looking at the end of the bed. And you see a mist form, the same place that I saw my figure, shoots off to the same side and then forms on the side of the bed, the same side my wife was sleeping on, and then goes right into the bathroom. I have goosebumps again just talking about it. Episode 110, Normal Ween howls its way to your ears now. Well, hello. Uh, hi. We'll be around for about an hour and a half. I got a couple of interesting people I, I would like to introduce you to uh, tonight. Also, Linda Spencer is one who's written a book called Knock on Wood, uh, talking about uh, some some wild superstitions. Uh, uh, she writes about superstitions I think we all are aware of, but a whole bunch of others that maybe we're not aware of. And later on, Robin Mead, who has written a book called Haunted Hotels. I think both of these books sort of tie in with the Halloween, which is uh, not that far away. Uh, Robin Mead, uh, Mead will uh, talk about the spookiest places where you can check in, and they cannot always guarantee that you won't be disturbed by some weird spirits. Oh, my goodness. I'm scaring myself. Anyway, we'll talk with Linda in just a minute. Linda Spencer and Knock on Wood. Thank you very much for, for hanging in there with us. I really appreciate talking with you. Okay, Norm. Okay, okay for you too, fellow. <laughs> Anyway, the book is called Knock on Wood, Black Cats, Fox Lungs, A Full Moon, and Turtle Bones. And what what you have done, I'm telling you this like you, you have not known what you have done. But uh, uh, but uh, Linda has written a book about uh, superstitions and how they have developed throughout uh, history and all that kind of stuff. And it's fascinating. There are a lot of superstitions that I was aware of as I read your book, uh-huh. but a lot that uh, I had not been aware of. And now I don't know whether that's a good thing or not. I may just become even more superstitious than before. Oh, <laughs> well, well uh, the common superstitions like knock on wood, uh, don't walk under a ladder, uh, seven years bad luck if you break a mirror are very well known. But most people don't realize that when you sneeze, for example, and you say Gesundheit or God bless you, you really are enacting a superstition. It's not, ju- it's not just being polite, as you were probably taught by your mother. Um, the ancient people believed that when a person sneezed, they were ridding their bodies of evil spirits. You mean we're not? <laughs> well, just in case the soul also left the body with the evil spirits, you were to you were supposed to invoke uh, a great spirit, or the Chinese uh, take a moment and revere their ancestors. Uh, the um, uh, Hindus uh, take a moment and pray. 
Um, some African cultures say the word grow after a sneeze. Uh, the Persians snap their fingers. <laughs> Every culture in the world does or says something after a sneeze. So, and, so are there are there a lot of, of a lot of superstitions that uh, that are picked that that let me see see how I can phrase this superstitions that are believed in. Uh, not only by us here in the, the northern hemisphere and all, but be it some superstitions are, are felt equally uh, potent throughout the world. Are universal. Yeah. I guess and, you phrased it better than I just stammered through. Oh, okay. well, um, actually, we're more similar than we are dissimilar. Every culture has superstitions. But are the, are the, the, many of the same ones, for example, you mentioned, uh, you know, all the years of bad luck if you break a, a mirror. Uh-huh. Do other cultures have a lot of those same kind of superstitions that we do? Well, the mirror one, not so much, but certainly the knock on wood is is a, a universal superstition. The sneezing, the yawning, the belief in garlic as far as warding off evil spirits, and now, of course, we're finding that garlic enhances our immune system. So that's, in a way, warding off evil spirits. Um... The cat, now, in ancient cultures, the cat was revered. It was in medieval times that uh, the cat's reputation plummeted. Uh, but, there, but every culture has superstitions about a cat, whether it's good luck or bad luck. Okay, now the knock on wood thing I thought was quite interesting because that has to do with trees you have written. Right, right. Um, and that goes back to the time we lived in, all lived in caves. Um, people saw that trees leafed out in the spring and uh, changed colors in the fall, and the evergreen, of course, stayed green all year long. And uh, people revered trees, and they thought gods and goddesses lived in them. And to knock on wood or to touch wood, as a lot of cultures say, was to keep in communication with the gods and goddesses and keep them on your side. And every major religion, for example, has the symbolism of a tree. Um, it's it's uh, a universal thing. And I just saw on TV tonight on the news that uh, they're finding out that, for example, people in hospitals who have major operations and have a room that looks out over a tree heal faster. Really? Right, and they're finding out that uh, trees have beneficial health properties to human beings, that seeing a tree, um, holistically speaking, um, does good things in our body. Well, I can. I, I think. I, I think most people can understand that if you're looking at a, a, even any kind of a pretty scene uh -huh. and you're not feeling too well, that ought to perk you up a bit. It, I would. I would think. Yes, there is something about a natural heal, healing about nature. Okay, you and what uh, one one chapter I thought was kind of uh, funny, except if you're a rabbit uh, about carrying a rabbit's foot for good luck, and I thought it may be good luck for people, certainly not terribly good luck for the rabbit. No, it's so. not good luck for the rabbit. And you have to make sure you have the right rabbit's foot or the correct rabbit's foot. Yeah, you not only mentioned mentioned uh, uh, which rabbit's foot you ought to have, which of the various feet that rabbit have, but also how it's obtained. Right. 
The correct rabbit's foot is the left hind foot of the rabbit killed at the full of the moon by a cross-eyed person. <laughs> That's what the purists believe. Okay. You wonder now, where would, where would somebody come up with a, a thing like that? Well, it's understandable in a way because rabbits were revered by ancient people because they were prolific. They produ produced lots of progeny. And in ancient people's value system, wealth was measured by the number of children you produced, by how good your crop was, and what your livestock was like, okay? Mm. So any animal that produced lots of, uh, of the next generation, had lots of kids or offspring, um, was revered. And then the rabbit in many cultures is tied to the full moon because cultures believed that the face that we see in the moon that we call the old man in the moon or we now know scientifically, of course, it's craters. But many people believe they saw a rabbit in the, in the face of the full moon. You describe also the difference between a rabbit and a hare. Now, hare doesn't seem to get very much publicity. We always talk about rabbits and their rabbit clubs and 4-H rabbit clubs, all that kind of stuff. Nobody seems to care about a hare, yet they're very closely related. Are there superstitions about the hare, too? Yes, but they're all negative. The, hmm. the ones that I've, been, that I've been able to discover. Um, like if a hare crosses your path, you will have a disappointment. If a hare runs by your house, there'll be a fire. Uh, and then, of course, there's the old belief about uh, if our hair crosses in front of a pregnant woman, the child she is bearing will be born with a hair lip. Oh, my. Yeah. yeah. And what, what about this, you know, the, a black cat speaking about things crossing your path? Were you able to, to find out how this one originated, the black cat bringing bad luck if it crossed your path? Um, I, not specifically, except that uh, my research, uh, everyone I researched and, and uh, the theorist on this believed that it had to do with the fact that during the Middle Ages, the black cat was believed to consort with witches and warlocks. In fact, uh, some people even believed that witches could turn themselves into black cats and they would raise all sorts of havoc as a black cat. And, of course, the Middle Ages was not a good time for cats in general. Um, in fact, uh, they, the population killed off the cats, and thus they killed the natural predator of the rat, and some people believe that spread the plague. Well, speaking, and speaking of witches, and now we always picture witches as as women, although there were male witches called wizards. Uh, or warlocks. Or, or warlocks, that's yeah. right. And witches always have been depicted with brooms. What is the significance of yeah. that? I haven't been able to find out, out exactly why women witches um, always had brooms. Um, it, it, it could go back to the fact that most of the people who were considered witches were older women. Most of them um, lived uh, by themselves. And also many of them had a great deal of herbal knowledge and herbal healing knowledge. Um, and maybe because they always 
two things. They always had, had probably always had a cat, and were they they were sweeping. I I, I don't know. It's 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 a hard connection to figure out. But the belief is that witches rode brooms, and uh, and of course the broom itself has lots of superstitions. Um, when you move into a new house, you should not take your old broom with you. You should uh, buy a new broom, for example, mm. and and take that to your new house, and you will always have happiness. Yeah, there's a there's a saying in Italian. I was kind of hoping I could say this because I only know about three or four sayings in Italian, and I very <laughs> rarely get to use them. One is Roma non fu fatta in un giorno, which means Rome wasn't built in a day, which has nothing whatever to do with with what we're talking about. But the broom thing is uh, Scobanova. Scoba bene, which means sort of loosely a new broom sweeps clean. I don't know how that ties into oh, what you just said. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, also it it's uh, um, like if you drop a broom, you soon will have company. Uh, there are all sorts of superstitions about how to sweep. You're not supposed to sweep the dust out the front door. Um, it'll all be tracked in, and, and it will it will bring bad luck to the. You're not supposed to sweep to the corner of the room. You're supposed. You're not supposed to sweep from the dust from room to room. Um, if you wanted to, almost every action you take in a in the course of a normal day could have a superstition attached to it. Yeah, I can understand some. For example, uh, if you run in front of a speeding truck. Yeah, you know, right. bad luck will will occur. Bad that luck has, will occur, yeah, right? Some of those, but you've got so many here that that are so remote that you wonder how people came up with them. But I suppose I don't know. Anyway, let let me just take a little break here, okay, Linda okay. Spencer, and then we'll come back split up with no, people who want to talk to you. that's fine. Okay, Linda Spencer, knock on wood. We're talking about superstitions, and we'll talk with uh, Tony. Well, where, are you at Logan Airport? No, yeah. I, is that where you are? Okay, you're on the air with Linda Spencer, Tony. Hi, Tony. Well, I uh, heard you talking a bit earlier about the witch's broom and that uh, nobody seems to know where it came from. And uh, if if you want her, I, know that I, I do know where it comes from. I can let you in on it. Okay. Uh, as you know, what is commonly known as witchcraft is actually something that comes out of a very old religion known as the Wiccan religion, the Wicca. And... The Wiccan religion, when it conducts its services, rather than using an altar per se, used to use a uh, what is known as a circle. It was frequently done outdoors, and people would uh, conduct various activities at the perimeter of the circle and sometimes within the circle. Now, much in the same way as your, uh, let's say, the current Catholic Church, if they were going to, uh, let's say, cleanse the air spiritually before they perform their liturgy, their ritual, whatever, they use an incense burner. In, this, in much the same fashion, in the Wiccan religion, when you were going to cleanse the circle, one of the things that could be done is to give it a symbolic or spiritual cleansing. And the tool that they would use to do this would be the witch's broom. And it would be made out of a certain type of wood or twigs uh, mm -hmm. connected to its handle and mm -hmm. would be blessed in a certain fashion. And they would simply cleanse the circle with this broom. I see. And during the Middle Ages, of course, uh, people would uh, see this uh, sort of business, this ritual going on out in the wilderness somewhere, and uh, because of the paranoia generated by the Christian church at that time, rather than simply using it to cleanse a magic circle or a spiritual circle, they would, of course, see them as old women that would write upon these brooms and fly through the, the air, which 
somewhat unfortunate, but that's the way it is. Mm. But that is where it started. Mm. Okay, Tony, thanks a lot. Thanks. Appreciate the information, Tony. Okay, in fact, we have another woman, not another woman, a woman who also took wants to talk about brooms, and that's Joan in South Weymouth. Hi, Joan, you're on with Linda Spencer. Hi, Joan. Thank you. Um, what he said is, is probably correct, too, but I heard at a lecture at, uh, one time that um, the significance, at least, of flying on the broom has to do with the fact that um, just when Christianity was being introduced into Europe, um, they were trying to wipe out the old pagan religion, which was Wicca. Mm -hmm. Yes. And they, um, I guess there was a curfew, if I remember, um, what this woman was saying at the lecture. I think it had something to do with having to be home perhaps before dark or at dark or whatever, but they would have their coven somewhere um, about at the same time, at dark or dusk. But having to get home for the curfew, what they did was, and probably they brought their brooms to do the sweeping, but they had the brooms with them anyway, and they vaulted back, I guess, through the woods of the forest or whatever, on the broom in order to get greater speed. And huh. that's where the, um, at least, illusion of uh, flying on the brooms comes from. Uh-huh. That's what I heard. Well, well. Also, you see, um, on Halloween, uh, the night, uh, the which is the night of the dead, um, all sorts of ghosts and goblins and all were supposed to uh, be in the air, and this is and and, and this is this is how they invaded the um, the land on the night of the dead, which is which is of course Halloween. Yeah, I think also um, I heard that. Halloween is um, a superimposed Christian holiday onto an older one. Um, oh, yes. Called yeah, well, ha no, Halloween goes back to the Druids um, um, and to honor uh, the Lord of the Dead, which his name was Samhain. The one that you, the uh, Druid uh, ceremony that you just mentioned happens in the spring, and that has to do with the crops and new life. But Halloween is uh, to honor the Lord of the Dead. Ah, so yeah. And it, go it goes way back to the Druids. And when Christianity came in, they did try to stamp out a lot of the pagan uh, rites and rituals. And they were not always successful. So they folded a lot into um, Christianity and accepted a lot of them. And one of them was Halloween. So and All day Saints day, day, the next day. The holiday of the dead. Yeah, All Souls Day, yeah. Superstations published by Rutledge, Hill Press. And you're in, where in Maine are you? Rockland, I'm, I'm uh, about an hour and a half north of Portland on I'm, the coast. I'm sorry, say that once more. I'm in Rockland. Oh, Rockland, Maine, okay. Mm -hmm. And you're from Massachusetts originally then? That's right, out by Natick. Okay. <laughs> Not far from where we are, right? This very, Not very far much. from your studio. Okay, I know you went to New York and you did some uh, editing and all that kind of stuff yes. there. And now you're back in New England where you belong, for God's sakes, Linda. <laughs> you should have left in the first place. That was foolish. Oh. <laughs> okay. okay, let's go to uh, Helen and Weymouth who'd like to talk with Linda Sp uh, Spencer. Hi, Helen. Hi, Norm. Hi, Linda. Hi, Helen. We got a big kick out of your book on superstitions because uh, some time ago I wrote a book about my Italian mother when she came here from the old country and grew up and all. Uh -huh. And one whole chapter was on superstitions. Ah. And I sold that a couple of times, like to the San Jose Mercury News or the Herald of Medical in Boston. 
If you have some superstitions some people never heard of. For instance, have you ever heard that uh, don't leave the bread on the table upside down or the mother will get a stomach ache? Oh, no, I never heard that. I heard don't, don't, eat, don't eat both ends of the bread. Don't ever cut both ends of the bread. Oh, I didn't know that one. You'll always be poor if you do because that. You, you heard the one about dropping a knife, knife fork or spoon means something coming. Right, and right. And I told my girlfriend that a fork meant a man, a spoon meant a woman, and a knife could be anything. Yeah. She said, I didn't know they had gender. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, a few other things, like uh, how about you must know this one, putting your clothes on inside out is good luck. Is good luck, yes. Yeah, don't yes, change them unless yes. you have to go to school and look like a jerk. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> if you drop a comb, you're going to be disappointed unless you step on it and count to one, two, three. Yes. This is the only ones I can remember. But I'm enjoying listening to you because some of them are new to me. Yeah, i got to get your book. Oh. But I'm going to tell you the one on superstitions. Uh, my last line, you know how they always say ace in the hole. I said, despite growing up under my mother's myriad superstitions, I'm not superstitious anymore and I'm doing okay. Dot, dot, dot. Not wood. Are you superstitious, Alan? Oh, yes. Oh, like I was over my daughter in laws one day, and uh, she opened the front door for me to go out. I said, Oh, no, I came in the back door. I got to go out the back door. Yes, go out the back door. Yes. And I keep saying, I'm not going to pass these things on to my children. Yeah. I don't want to make them paranoid. No, but it's kind of funny, though. You do fall into that situation where you do them anyway, and after a while, they don't even seem like superstitions. My mother was like that, too. She said, if you come in, if you come visiting us through the front door, you have to leave through the same yeah. door you came in. Right. Yeah, that, right. Was one, that was one of ours, too. But see, you're refreshing my memory. I'm having a ball listening uh-huh. to you. Pick it up. Oh, I'm going to get your book, Mark Wood. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, bye bye. Uh, I wonder if there are certain countries that have more superstitions than other countries. Well, not really. We hear, in the States, we hear uh, uh, more superstitions from various. Uh, countries because of the people who came here, but every culture has superstitions, and I think it, it's it's like my I myself, for example, knock on wood, and it's not that I I believe that there are gods and goddesses in the wooden chairs uh, in the kitchen that I knock wood on, um, but I do it just in case, Norm. You know, just <laughs> you in know, case. You don't want to take any chances, right? Right. Because you would think, you know, here in a here in the United States, we're so terribly hip and sophisticated, we would have fewer superstitions, say they would in some uh, primitive countries where superstitions would be kind of a way of life because they don't understand anything as well as we do. But that doesn't seem to be the case. No matter how hip we seem to think we are, mm-hmm. there are certain things we're very careful about. Right. And and uh, superstitions, I think, need a primal need. It's, a, it's, a, it's our kind way of believing that in some way we can have an effect on fate, that we can maybe change the course of fate. And I think that, I think we do this unconsciously. Um, it's, it's just, and, and I think we do it because just in case, you know, <laughs> just knock case. on wood, because why not? I mean, it might change things, right? That's right. And, and how long does it take you to knock on wood right. anyway? Right. Okay. Let's talk with the Debbie in Malden. Hi, Debbie. You're on WBZ with Linda Spencer. Hi. Hi, Debbie. Hi. My grandmother was very, very superstitious, and my mother's superstitious. I know I am. But there's one thing I don't understand. They they seem to have a similar superstition. My grandmother used to have a large picture window, and she hung one of those um, cane Venetian blinds on it, and it used to get, uh, like, dust. She used to roll it down so birds would not hit the window. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. 
I don't understand what that yeah. was. Oh, that that was bad luck. If birds hit the window or if birds came in, flew in a uh, open window into the house, that meant someone in the family was going to die. Okay, because my mother, when we were growing up, would not let, let us have birds in the house. Like that's, that's, yes. That's a very, very common superstition. I, didn't, I, mean, I, I know through myself, like, don't put new shoes on the table. Right, right. But, I mean, the birds ones always threw me all my always life. Always threw me, right. Well, that. especially because uh, I think certain generations have grown up with that superstition, and, and the younger generations haven't. But for the older generations, um, a bird in the house, a bird hitting the window, or a bird flying into a church meant that someone very close was going to die. Yeah. Oh. That's, yeah. Matter of fact, I was just talking about that with someone um, um, up here in Maine who was telling me she lived off, uh, on one of the islands off the coast of Maine, and um, she met people who would not even have wallpaper that had birds in it in their living room. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Real superstitious. Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Debbie. Okay, here's uh, Kevin in the uh, town of Abington. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing, sir? How are you doing? We're doing good, fine. Good. Linda, it's good to hear you. And it's very nice to hear somebody that can speak very nice and clearly about what they're trying to say. Oh. <laughs> it sounds like some, uh, I don't know. What it, well, it sounds like what it sounded like. I right. guess we'll let it go at that. Yeah. Okay, if you want to talk with Linda Spencer and you have uh, some... Uh, superstitions or things that they have been passed along to you in your family, uh, do call 254-1030. Area code is 617, and we'll just take a little bit. I'm going to be able to top the last caller for <laughs> things that go bump in the night, right? <laughs> That's right. But I have some insight on the, the archetypal witch on a broom as seen by... Every, it came to my attention a long time ago that the pre-Columbian peoples of Central and North America, as well as other disparate people who had no knowledge of each other, all pictured a witch as a woman on a broom flying through the sky. And some years later, I found in an astrophysics book, actually, a solution to this. And I don't know if, if you would be interested in me reading a couple of paragraphs from Dr. Velikovsky, but it's because it, he's referring to brooms which is on brooms in the same sense as dragons, which are archetypal and universal. There's not really a country in the world that doesn't, that doesn't have dragons, yeah. You know, St. George, the Chinese. Right. Here's, here's what Velikovsky said. Did witches fly through the air on brooms? The reader would agree that cosmic catastrophes, if they occurred, could leave and must have left similar memories all around the world. But there are fantastic images that do not appear to represent realities. Um, on one occasion, oh, he says, we shall follow this rule if there exists a fantastic image that is projected against the sky and that repeats itself all around the world. It's most probably an image that was seen on the screen of the sky by many people at the same time. On one occasion, a comet took the striking form of a woman riding on a broom, and the celestial picture was so clearly defined that the same impression was imposed on all the peoples of the world. It is well known how, in modern times, the form of comets impressed people. One comet was said to look like, quote, un crucifix tout seglant, another like a sword. Actually, every comet has this particular shape, which may also change during its visibility. Hmm. So, 
He's saying that it was that it, he thinks it was a comet. Well, every, it took that shape that everyone that saw. Shape. These well, such disparate people who, because that invested me for a while, how people who were untouched by the European and Middle Age and um, Judeo-Christian and what developed from that yeah. ethic had the same archetypal image. Mm -hmm. He says another example is the dragon. All around the world, this image is prominent in literature and art and also in the religion of peoples. There's probably no nation, blah, blah, blah. Several scholars thought that possibly it represented some extinct menace that impressed mankind to a much greater degree than any other creature since it appears on the Chinese flag, Archangel Michael, St. George and Valentine. But Valentine's. also, I, I think uh, in talking about the dragons, I think all people, we, we're very, we're more similar than we are dissimilar. That's one thing I learned in researching this book, that our cultures really are more similar, and we all have the same fears. And that's, and that's really important to remember, I think. Do you think we must have seen these fears at some time? Well, you I'm, know, not, Apollodora... I'm not sure if, if it had to be a common experience of seeing um, um, a, uh, an animal that looked like a, a, a dragon. I, I think... Uh, no, 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 a dragon in the sky, like everybody saw a witch flying through the sky during a time of terror. That would impress you in a folklore and become a motif of folklore. From the description of the comet Typhon that spread like an animal over the sky with many heads and a winged body, that's that, the Apollodorus reference, and that is the dragon, and it's the the archetypal dragon of east and west and north and south. And the common fear of the unknown. I'll leave you with one last example. The constellation Scorpio, which in no way resembles a scorpion, is called scorpion by such disparate people. The Assyrians called it scorpion, so did the Mayas and the Aztecs, and it doesn't even look like a scorpion. At some time in recorded history, a comet must have appeared from that area, from that constellation, that segment of the sky, if you will, which took the inimitable shape of a scorpion, which was as immediately recognizable to everyone as a witch on a broom. Hmm. Food for thought. Well. Okay, thank you, Carl. I, 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 just, I didn't know whether you wanted a final comment on that, Linda, or not. Um, well, I, I, I would have to, I didn't research the, the um, astrological uh, uh, means of, of a lot of the superstitions because what came through in my research w was the fact that they were such common fears, uh, such as the evil spirits. Um, every culture has, uh, a belief in evil spirits that there is there are evil uh, beings unseen that are out there ready to raise havoc on people's lives and a lot of superstitions arose around that uh, to protect people from these evil spirits and um, that that's why I, I think when you're talking about things like the dragon, which which is common to all cultures. It's it's a very common imagination that we share. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting that the, there are so many superstitions we don't even think of as superstitions in a way. I was thinking of a song, for example, from Pinocchio. You were thinking of a song from Pinocchio. How does that tie in, Nathan? Anyway, uh, when when they sing, when you wish upon a star. Makes no difference who you are. Everything your heart desires will come to you by wishing on a star. Yes, yes. And we talk about 
you know, falling stars and making a wish on it when we see a falling star in the yes. sky, all that kind of stuff. Yes. So a lot of that astrological kind of thing. Yes, yes. There's also a superstition that if you see a falling star saying money, money, money three times <laughs> before the star is out of sight and you soon will have wealth. <laughs> you, have, you have some interesting things. We'll get to it in just a second. I want to bring in Norma from the North End first, but... Uh, how to how to find a mate, for example? How to how to set conditions in order in order for you to find uh, a, a woman or a man or something with socks and naming? Well, anyway, we'll talk about that in just a bit. Okay, the man for me. <laughs> We're going to talk about that in just a second. Some at least some of the superstitions, some things that people think that men and women could do in order to make it easier for them to come across uh, their mates. Another thing about the falling star, I was told if you could count to five before you disappeared, you could get your wish come true. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that was a new one. Five. Huh? Uh, I could tell about some old ones that my mother used to tell me. Never leave your hat on the bed. Right. Right, that's never, bad luck. Never open up an umbrella in the room. Right. Yeah, you can, yeah Linda, Linda writes about that also in, in her book, Knock on Wood. That's true. Also... If you're walking up the street with a friend and the sidewalk gets crowded, you never walk around the pole. You walk in back of them or in front of them. You never walk around a pole or around a hybrid because it break up a friendship. Oh, yes, yes. That, that was good. And you, would, you wouldn't get me to walk up under a ladder if I had to step in a puddle to walk around. Well, there's a counter charm, you know. Um, the, the, the belief was that that triangular space that the ladder forms when it leans up against a tree or building is sacred space. The triangle shape was considered uh, sacred by ancients. And the spirits that were under that, in that triangular space, um, felt intruded upon or feel intruded upon if you walk under the ladder. But the counter charm to that is if you absolutely must walk under a ladder, cross your fingers. I wouldn't do it. Well, aside from the fact that you might get a pail of paint dumped on your head, too. That's what Bob Raleigh said, why he wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> the paint on his head. But you could give me a black cat. He could walk in front of me and back of me. He could walk through my legs. He could jump on my head. He could do anything. I love cats. Uh huh. I used to have one. I used to love it at night when we'd be in bed and just a little light in the room. The cat would walk in and all I would see with those green eyes. It was awesome. It was well, you can understand why cats scared some people in ancient days. With the green eyes? Right. Oh, I think they're awesome. Well, yeah. Beautiful cat. There's so many. And remember when you were a kid, you used to say, step on a crack and you break your mother's back? Yes, yes. And you never realized oh, it was a superstition. Yeah, yeah cracks. You just thought crack. it was a childish uh, thing that you did, you know. You know, the cracks on the sidewalks, you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, step on yeah. a crack and break your mother's back. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, most, you know, it's interesting. Superstitions are, are carried along by word of mouth. And, and taught uh, by older people to younger people. And they've been passed along for hundreds and hundreds of years. The Incredible. first time I heard that birds were bad luck, and I love birds, I, I had a couple of uh, well, birds. Oh, I gave this girl a beautiful, a real pretty house coat for Christmas, and it had two birds with pretty flowers on it on the pocket. 
and she gave it back to me, she wouldn't accept it. She said, birds of bad luck. Yeah. Okay. Hey, thank I you would... very much, Tom. I'm sorry. We're going to have to move along. But uh, I thank you. Thanks a lot for the call. But it is interesting that no matter how hip or sophisticated you feel you are, uh, there are uh, certain superstitions that uh, that you have uh, yeah. without even sometimes thinking that they are superstitions. Yeah. Anyway, Linda, you're you're really nice to come on with us. I I appreciate it. And I think a lot of people got a big kick out of uh, Knock on Wood is the name of the book, a, a serendipitous selection of superstitions. And uh, black, uh, the subtitle is Black Cats, Fox Lungs, A Full Moon Turtle Bone. Oh, before we go, just one, that one other point, because I brought that up before, about how to meet a mate. And uh, oh. with, with men, you know, about rolling up a pair of socks and oh, some of right. those other things. Right. If you're a single man, take a pair of socks, and they should be clean socks, not the sweat socks you wore that morning doing your exercises. And take, um, name each sock after a woman you know. Now, this is for single men to do, to find out which woman uh, he should marry. And uh, take each sock, put, put each sock under the, your pillow, get into the bed backwards from the bottom of the bed, and that night the woman you dream of will be one of the women who's, who you name the sock after, and she is the one you are to marry. <laughs> that's, okay. That'd be kind of interesting when you're revealing how you met. Right. And you're talking about that some sometime later on. Maybe 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 on the Sally and Jesse Raphael show or something. That's kind of weird <laughs> weird stuff like that. Hey, thank you very much, Linda Spencer. Thank your, your, you. Your book is so much fun. A guide to American and Canadian inns and their ghosts. And after you read the book, you won't just take any hotel room anywhere. You want to go to a hotel that is haunted. At least that's, that's my feeling anyway. And uh, Robin Mead is uh, from England. Uh, it's nice to, to have you on the air with us. Hi, Robin Mead. I know. Hi. I know I know that uh, you had you have written about uh, uh, what British British hotels are European hotels that are haunted, and now you've, uh, you, you, you write about the ones here in that's North right, America. That's right. Yes, I, I did a book uh, last year in, 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 uh, in Great Britain about uh, haunted hotels over there. And uh, luckily for me, uh, publishers in Tennessee, Rutley Chill Press, asked me to come over and do the same thing about uh, haunted hotels in America. So that's what, I, uh, what I've done, and I must say I had a great deal of fun doing it. And it's, it's fun to read the book, too, because you've got it categorized by states, and naturally, being in Massachusetts and in the Boston area, I looked up Massachusetts, and we've got some haunted hotels throughout this state, including some, some very historic, well-known hotels. The, 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 uh, uh, is it more apt to, uh, uh, is the hotel more apt to be haunted if it's a historic hotel? Well, they're amazingly varied. I mean, yes, you have got uh, haunted hotels in, in Massachusetts. Um, as uh, in, in a colonial part of the country, one would, would uh, expect you to have. Um, equally, they have them in um, uh, the, the lot in the deep south, in the plantation homes. But uh, amazingly, the most uh, haunted hotels, um, not the most ghosts, but the most haunted hotels that I found was in California. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you find anything significant about that trash? I'm... Uh, maybe Californians have got good imagination. But I don't know. <laughs> well, that's As a matter of fact, you're, a, you're in a hotel in New York. Are you right now that is uh, considered to be uh, haunted? That's right. No, I'm staying in the New York, in the New York Palace Hotel in, in New York. Um, it doesn't have a ghost, so far as I know. It used to be the Helmsley Palace, of course, so uh, maybe, it'll, uh, maybe it'll have a ghost one day. Uh, um, maybe Mrs. Helmsley will come back and haunt you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We only write about nice ghosts, so maybe she won't qualify. That's, that's true, though. You, you're very specific about that, that these are not ghosts that you ought to be afraid of. No, that's right. This is this is uh, the book uh, Haunted uh, Haunted Hotels. It is essentially uh, it's something I hope people will keep in the glove compartment of the car, and uh, um, uh, when they're when they're traveling, they'll find um, find a nice hotel that that's uh, got an extra thrill to it. Th- these are all very good hotels. I've I've inspected all of them or had all of them inspected on my behalf, um, and they're all very nice places. Um, I've enjoyed staying at nearly all of them, and um, uh, I wouldn't want to stay anywhere where there was a nasty ghost. So there's no, if there are such things as a nasty ghost, and I'm not too sure about that, but there's certainly none of them in this book. You can go and stay at one of the, any one of these hotels, and uh, I don't think anything or frightening will happen. Something okay. curious may happen, but nothing frightening. Well, I hope something curious. For example, you have, among other hotels listed in Massachusetts, one very close to Boston, one in historic Concord, Massachusetts, the Colonial Inn, which has been around since the 1700s, which for an American hotel is about as old as you can get. That's right. Now, now, why would you, what you included the the Colonial Inn in Concord, the Deerfield Inn in Deerfield, Massachusetts, the Hawthorne Hotel, which is up in the part of the North Shore where I live, up in Salem. Yep. And I think that's kind of appropriate since this is uh, this this is Halloween week oh, and, yeah. and Salem gets uh, very much of the spotlight on a on a week like this. Yes, indeed. And then you 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 list uh, Longfellow's Wayside Inn, of course, the, one of the really famous inns in yeah. Sudbury, and a and an inn down in Edgartown, down on the Cape, uh, in the Victorian Inn. Uh, you have either inspected these all these hotels yourself or. Somebody inspected them That's for right. you, and That's right. and what did, what did you come up with basically about about these hotels? If I may ask you to kind of sum up some of the things that you you've encountered. Well, I think the first thing is that, uh, as I've said, uh, they're all nice hotels, they're places where you can quite happily go and stay. So that's, that's uh, the first thing to say about them. The second thing is that, especially in the case of the Colonial Inn, they're very proud of their ghost. In fact, um, uh, they, they've, kept, they've kept figures, and uh, the, uh, the haunted room, um, which for the record is, is, is uh, room 24, um, is, is, has, has got the longest waiting list for people to go and stay in it. So there's lots of brave people out there. Okay. What, now, what about some of the others now? The, uh, 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 like the Deerfield Inn out in Deerfield, Massachusetts. Of course, the whole area of Deerfield has quite a historical significance. Yes, indeed. Um, I think uh, um, one of the odd things about Deerfield is is uh, it's got several uh, reported ghosts, and one of them is one of them's a, a poltergeist. But um, I think one of the um, interesting things about um, this whole um, 
project and, and about the Deerfield Inn in, in particular is that when you've got uh, an owner or a former owner who, who believes in, in ghosts, then uh, obviously the stories are that much richer. And Cora, uh, Cora Carlisle, I think her name was, who used to own the Deerfield Inn, uh, was actually a believe, believer in spiritualism. She held uh, seances there. Um, she was trying to get in touch, in fact, with her husband, uh, who, who she'd worked with very closely, and she missed him when, when she died, when he died. And... Um, Obviously, she used, they used to do the, the spiritualist bit. Of, she was listening for him knocking, and uh, she's no longer there. But um, you can still hear um, a, a knocking at the Deerfield Inn. And so um, maybe it's Cora, maybe it's her husband. I don't know. Um, she's very well com- behaved compared with Herschel, who's... Uh, who's um, uh, a rather naughty uh, uh, spirit and uh, a poltergeist who um, is, uh, he bothers people in room 148. Um, the I'm president sorry, he's, he's, have, have said that uh, he, he goes and uh, knocks on the door and uh, appears as a light in the room and bounces around and so on and generally messes up the big clothes and uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you yes. don't get a quiet night if you stay in 148. <laughs> Okay, you did mention the number of the room, then. I want 48 there and 24 at the Colonial Inn. Oh, yes, I've, I've tried to give the number of the room uh, in every case so that people can either ask for it or avoid it, depending on how brave they're feeling. Okay, I would I would think it'd be pitiful to avoid it. I mean, here you get a chance to get a little something extra with hotel rooms. <laughs> and and the, most hotel rooms all look alike across the country, although you mentioned... Hotels that really don't look alike, that are special, like the Hawthorne Hotel up in Salem. Can you tell us about that? Because that is kind of the centerpiece of uh, of a city that is now celebrating, uh, sort of in a sheepish kind of way, the uh, (laughs) Halloween, only because uh, they suddenly don't want to be associated with witches, and yet they... They want to be because it it it's meant a great deal of tourism and income. But the but the past couple of weeks, right up to through Halloween, are big uh, kind of uh, big events up in uh, Salem. Anyway, what about the Hawthorne Hotel? Well, I'm not really sure that that, that the Hawthorne Hotel's got a ghost. Of course, it ought to have a ghost because it actually stands, uh, according to to legend, it actually stands on the land, um, which where 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 the witches were were uh, put to death. Um, so-called witches of Salem. Um, of course, it was an absolutely dreadful story, and um, the, uh, uh, the 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 trials and, and the executions took place right there where the hotel now stands. So um, uh, I, I sort of feel that you can't ignore a hotel like that. But but I haven't actually had any reports. Um, uh, of um, of actual happenings in the hotel itself, but I think probably one of the interesting things is is that um, uh, nobody knows where um, uh, you probably know how to pronounce this better than I do if you're a local. But but uh, Tituba, who uh, yeah. uh, actually conducted the um, uh, voodoo rituals, which were supposed to identify the witches, nobody knows where she's buried. And there is a, a a thought that it's possibly on Salem Common and perhaps right beneath the Hawthorne Hotel. So, although there are not any, there are no sightings that I know of there up to now, perhaps there'll be some in the future. Yeah, and you, you, your your story about that, as well as a whole lot of other things, you say no one knows exactly where Tatuba conducted her voodoo rituals. 
or uh, where Salem's witches were buried. Not, not, nor is it known why the land by Salem Common beneath the Hawthorne Hotel remained undeveloped that's right. for some 400 years. That's true, and that's, it's, it's an interesting hotel. And anyway, that whole community is interesting. As I mentioned, they, they keep wavering back and forth. Yeah. They want to be known as the Witch City, again, because of tourism. And they get the tons of tourists who visit this time of the year. And yet, at the same time, they, they feel kind of guilty about that whole the witch hunters era in uh, 1692. And kind of like not to be part of that. But anyway, it's kind of a, parent, a, a, a double split personality, a schizophrenia. It is, it is, because when, when uh, I mean, I noticed that they're advertising at the moment, that they're advertising, I suppose it was a sort of lead up to Halloween, uh, and they're saying, come and experience math, which is a, obviously a play on the uh, abbreviation of the state's name, experience math hysteria. Um, As a matter of fact, they have a witch's store there, Laurie Cabot, supposedly uh, was declared the official witch of Salem, under Michael Dukakis, I guess a lot of, I don't really remember when that happened, and I suspect maybe former Governor Mike Dukakis doesn't remember when it happened, but she sort of declared herself that, and she's got a store there where she sells all these exotic witches kinds of stuff, you know, yeah. like the uh, yeah. the uh, fragrance of a, of a dead uh, caterpillar or something, <laughs> I'm, I'm making that up, I forget what it is, but it's all that kind of stuff. That's right, there are shops like that in New Orleans where you can buy spells for virtually everything. Well, that's right. I think it makes life fun, even if you don't really believe in any of that kind of stuff. It's kind of it's kind of an interesting thing to talk about. We had on earlier, uh, a couple of nights ago, a uh, a woman named uh, Laurie Jacobson who wrote a book on Hollywood Haunted, a ghostly tour of Filmland, and uh, she had some stories about uh, the celebrities who've seen ghosts or lived with ghosts and that kind of stuff. And you mentioned, and not only mentioned, but I, having read your book, I know that you mentioned a lot of things about uh, California, uh, as we just talked, yep. uh, as uh, as having probably the most number of reputedly haunted hotels uh, of all, and uh, one one of which was the uh, Radisson Ho Hollywood Hotel, the uh, what the Roosevelt Hotel. The ghost of Marilyn Monroe. She had written about uh, something that you have written about too. Somebody looking into a mirror and seeing the ghost of uh, of uh, Marilyn Monroe, at least her image in the mirror, doing her hair and all that kind of stuff. And she turned around and there was no Marilyn Monroe there. That's right. Have you come across many stories like that? And could you elaborate on that particular one? Well, on that particular story, um, yeah, um, obviously. Uh, um the uh, film star ghosts, or as far as I know, are, are confined to uh, uh, to Hollywood. But um, yes, that is an odd story. Um, a maid, um, the, the, the hotel um, Marilyn Monroe used to use uh, one of the uh, poolside rooms, the cabana rooms, there a lot. And um, after she was dead. Um, the furniture from that room, uh, like in any hotel, was sort of moved around the hotel bit by bit. And a maid who uh, uh, looked in the mirror and was amazed when, when she looked, uh, as she was looking in the mirror, to see Marilyn Monroe um, looking out of the mirror at her. And she was very frightened and ran away and, and, and uh, eventually reported the experience to the manager. And it turned out that this mirror had been in the cabana that, uh, that Marilyn Monroe uh, uh, used. Um, mm. It's now been uh, it's now been 
it's now been put in a public place so everybody can go and look and if you know see if they see here in the mirror see if you can see Marilyn Monroe <laughs> and see if they see her staring the oddest, the, the oddest thing I think about that hotel is is that that um, Montgomery Clift uh, there are there are uh, I mean, countless reports of of of, um, of Mount uh, of Montgomery Clift um, uh, of people ex of seeing and hearing Montgomery Clift. There, he spent three room uh, three months in in room nine two eight there when he was filming from here to to eternity. And he used to uh, apparently he was very fussy about learning his lines and he used to pace up and down the corridor, um, uh, sort of muttering them to himself. And um, people. Uh, in that corridor, still feel an invisible figure brush past them, and um, there are um, uh, various noises that come from um, um, room nine two eight as well. Um, they had a uh, these things so easily. I mean, that that's a, a, quite a well authenticated story. But 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 these things so so easily um, slip over into the ridiculous. I mean, they they had a research psychic go and stay there. Obviously, these these um, things do um, attract uh, investigators. And he said that that Carmen Miranda was there, and Humphrey Bogart was there, and Errol Flynn was there, and Edward Arnold was there, and Betty Grable was there. <laughs> An entire film cast in that hotel. They could have built a huge, filmed a huge new a new film just with, yeah. the, with the ghosts of all that's these people. That's right, that's right. How do you, how do you define a, a ghost or... A, 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 I don't quite know how to ask this because I'm, I'm not one of those who believes in ghosts to begin with, but some people say, for example, you mentioned Montgomery Cliff, the fact that the, some of these people become ghosts or, or they linger on Earth because they don't think it's they're ready to die yet. They haven't kind of settled with the, the, the whatever, you know, and they're still kind of roaming the earth trying to finish their work that they feel is unfinished, and that uh, yes. the rest of the rest of us just die and figure that's the end of it. I'm I'm explaining this very very badly, but I I guess I'm just leading up to asking you what your feelings are about all of that. I don't know. I I, I have to say that um, in all my investigations, both for the the UK book and this book, I've never seen a ghost. Um, I've been in rooms with very, very odd atmospheres. I've been in rooms where unexplained things have happened, not frightening things, but, but things... I, I often try and stay in the haunted, in the, in the haunted uh, room in a hotel and then ask and, and not know the... You know, tell, the, tell the proprietor, I don't, I don't want to know the story. You tell me the story at breakfast time tomorrow. Um, you know, and that, that's in, in, in some way an investigation then because, um, you know, one can see if one's experiences, if any, tie up, tie up with the story. Um, certainly in, in a hotel in Scotland uh, that I stayed in, um, I, uh, I heard um, somebody walking about in the room above uh, during the night. And it was only when I went out to my car next morning to get something out of the car that I realized there wasn't a room over mine. And uh, mm. there was just a, an in, in, inaccessible flat roof. And this was, was where a, a 17th century uh, uh, ghost was supposed to walk looking for a lost baby. Um, I mean, that, is, that was a sort of odd experience. But it's not odd at the time because you, at the time you think, oh, there's somebody walking about above who can't sleep. So you're not frightened. Maybe if you knew the story, you'd be frightened. I think people who've seen a ghost or think they've seen a ghost are absolutely convinced. And uh, um, in a way, I, I, I think perhaps I enjoy these stories so much I don't want to see a ghost because if I saw one, um, I would know they existed. 
Um, I might not. I might not be able to convince you that they existed, but I would know in my heart of hearts that they existed. But uh, um, as long as I don't know, I can go on looking, which is which is fun. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, and over the past few nights, we've uh, we talked with quite a number of people who uh, are involved in that same area, and it's kind of interesting. You get different yeah. reactions. That very, very often, they'll say very much what you have said, Robin Mead, and I. I appreciate you coming on and saying it with us. Haunted hotels. So we. I would think that in uh, just as one final note, in Europe, uh, the the haunted hotels that you investigated there, they're being they being much older than hotels here in the United States. At least you would be more susceptible to thinking there were ghosts there in a hotel that has existed for hundreds of years, rather than our hotels, which even the oldest one is only maybe a couple hundred years old. It doesn't really match up at all. But yes. the, but some of your really old hotels. Even if there are no ghosts there, it must seem like there are, just by the age of the, the room. I think an awful lot of um, them are, were not original hotels, and that applies here as well. I mean, uh, in, in the UK, we have uh, lots of um, uh, very large country houses, even castles that have been converted into hotels. They're the ones which have um, the odd noises, which might be the floorboards creaking, uh, might be the water system, or they might not. You don't know. Um, they also have, of course, uh, lots of um, verbal history, oral history attached to them, with tales that have, that have passed down from generation to generation and perhaps grown in the telling. And I think very often in the United States, uh, the haunted hotels, I mean, we've actually talked um, uh, tonight, perhaps, perhaps uh, uh, we've given the wrong balance by talking about uh, purpose-built hotels, but an awful lot of the, the properties that, that appear in my book are, um, you know, former plantation homes, things like that. And um, there's even there's even a couple of ships. There's the Queen Mary, which is uh, uh, moored forever at Long Beach, and there's the Delta Queen, which is the historic boat that sails up and down the Mississippi, which has got a, a, a very well-authenticated ghost of a former lady, lady captain. I appreciate talking with you very much, Robin. Okay. Thank you. It's, a, it's an interesting book. It's a guide to American and Canadian inns and their ghosts, and it's called Haunted Hotels. And uh, it, it's uh, it's fun talking with you about it. I'll, it, it put up at uh, Rutledge Hill Press, and I'll give you the toll-free number in just a couple of minutes. But thank you very much, I'm Robin. I'm sure it's only nine, $9.95, Norm. Uh, it's a very inexpensive <laughs> book. That's true. <laughs> Take care and have a good stay here in the United States. Thank you very much, Norm. I do hope you enjoyed your stay here at the Vault of Spookiness. Please be sure to sign our guest register and leave a comment. We're dying to hear from you. Closing the vault and leaving this world a little sillier and spookier than we found it. For Linda Spencer knocking on wood and other superstitions. Robin Mead, Haunted Hotels, Halloween, Longfellow's Wayside Inn, Jerusa Howe, Room Number 9, The Lord of the Dead, All Saints Day, All Souls Day, The Druids, Pinocchio, Salem, Massachusetts, Witch City, USA, Marilyn Monroe's Mirror, The Mumbling Montgomery Clift, Bumps in the Night, ghosts and goblins everywhere, and the man who may have not believed in ghosts, but has certainly shown me many signs he's still here, Norm Nathanstein. I'm Count Tonio Nesbitt. <laughs>